0: six thousand four hundred and sixty eight commandments in the Bible that is the count according to Haley's Bible handbook we're gonna go through all six thousand four hundred and sixty eight of them are you ready number one love the Lord your God number two love your neighbor as yourself number three On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You thought that was going to take longer, didn't you? I love that it all boils down to love. Love is the fulfillment of the law, Paul said. Literally, it fills it up. There is no part of the law where the thoughts and purposes of love are not present. It says Paul said when he commissioned young Timothy with a charge to keep preaching the word of God, keep teaching the truths of scripture, keep rebuking the heirs of the opposition, keep shunning the idle babblings and fables of those who contradict. The purpose of the commandment, he says, is love. I think about what Jesus says, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. Love is the sum, and that is the summary as we make this series a memory. Before we bring things to a close, there are a few concluding thoughts I want you to walk away with as you seek to set into practice a deeper love for God, self, and all of mankind. Number one, I want you to remember this love is God. Theos esti agape. God is love. First John 4, 16, they ask God, agape love. God is love. John even goes on to say in this same verse, if you abide in love, you abide in God. And God abides in you. Love is something that belongs to God. Love is God's middle name. Man cannot redefine love. Man cannot claim love as his own. Man cannot seize love and then recast love into a new image. Love is the image of God, and His image cannot be reshaped. You know, if you ever want to have a f- fun little debate with someone about the redefinition of love, might I suggest that you simply ask where does love come from? Who made it? From whence does it originate? Did it rise out of the muck of the primordial soup? Did it fly from the bow and arrow of an infant? saddled with wings? If love is merely the evolution of human development, why do not all have it? If love is only the product of little neurons firing off in the brain, then why do not all practice it? Why do not all seek the best interests of others in front of their own, in displacement of their own? You know, it's no wonder that the world should seek to redefine love because the world truly does not understand love. It only sees the physical. It only lives by the physical. It does not know the spiritual. It does not know the God of love. And therefore, it does not know true love. And it seeks to redefine it. I love it when the Apostle John says, we love because he first loved. That verse truly reminds me from whence love came. Love came from God. Love originated in God. God was the first to show me what true love was and to show me the grandness of it, the truth of it, and how I might have practiced it in my own life and benefit from it. It was the Apostle Paul who said, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us, Romans 5, 5. We, like empty vessels, have been filled by the fountain of love itself, as Paul would indicate, which flows into and even pours over the cup of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. We can hardly bear up under it. It's so great, so free, so abundant and overflowing. My God, how could you love a soul like me? A sinner, a transgressor, condemned to die never free. Nothing to offer, nothing to give back. The earth is yours in all its fullness. Your love alone, it's all I have. Let it be, let it be, let it rest upon a soul like me. And so I pray, first and foremost, you remember, love is God. He is its definition. Number two, only this love can save this world now. Only this love can save this world now. Proverbs 10:12 says hatred stirs up strife, but love covers a multitude of sins. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another, John 13:35. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John 3:16. Church, if you're listening, please hear me on this today. Souls that are one in today's culture and society will not be one by truth first and love second, and truly for all time. It has never been the case that conversions come about first by truth and then love only secondary. The truth is today and of all time, Souls will only be won by the truth of God's word channeling through and working out the love of Christ equally, speaking the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15, a new commandment I give to you, says Jesus, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. John 13.34, this is how men shall come to a knowledge of the truth and the way. They will not come any other way and if they should come any other way the same are robbers and thieves they've not really known the way the reality of today is that most are in search of community not religion though the need is for both might i suggest this to you as a practice worth adopting in modern culture love like no one else loves care like no one else cares forgive like no one else forgives have mercy like no one else has mercy Bear up under those who are hard to bear up. Be gentle with those who do not know gentleness. Visit those who do not visit. Call those who do not call. Lend to those who do not lend. Expecting nothing back in return, but with a selfless and sincere heart, let your generosity be made known to all. Do good to those who do not do good. Pray for those who do not pray for you. Remember that Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? What do you do more than others? If you can love like this, you will shine like stars on a dark, cloudless night. Love like this can save the world now. Love like this will save the world and can only save the world. That leads me to a third conclusion. Love like 1 Corinthians 13. You know, it would truly take an intentional effort to have a series on love and never touch on the chapter of love. Now, I'm a strong believer in reading scripture, especially when preaching sermons. Wouldn't mind at all to read the chapter aloud even now. But I am going to assume that you've read it before. Maybe at least, at the very least, you've been in enough Hobby Lobby stores to have a good sense of it, looking upon all the wall decor that you can hang on your wall. If there's one thing I could contribute, though... Maybe something of value to offer to this great chapter of Scripture. I would only have us to observe that the love spoken of here is much more than a lovely piece of decor that gives definition and poetry to the concept of love. Instead, I would have us all to see and remember that Paul's discourse on love in 1 Corinthians 13 is the very love of an apostle of Christ himself who once planted the seat of this congregation, and whose return has now found the poisonous, bitter roots of envy, pride, and contention. We often forget that the love spoken of here is the very same love that was absent. Now, how can this be? How is it possible that the body of the loving Savior ceased to love well, it was in part because of pride. It was in part because of strife. It was in part because of doctrinal error within the congregation. It was in part because of evil company. It was in part because of greed to get back what is mine. But the greatest part was that they, like the church in Ephesus, had truly left their first love. The cares and the worries of this world had choked out their love. As soon as their hearts lost focus on love, they became nothing more than clanging cymbals of brass and metal. Their bodies became nothing more than limping pieces of flesh ready to be carted off to the wayside for the birds to eat. And you know, some congregations are like that today. They maybe have all the pieces, they've got all the structural truths in place, but They are much like an orchestra. All the pieces set in place, but as they venture to play, they make no lovely sound. Instead, they clang together cymbals of brass, and the tone is off. Everything feels off. There's nothing lovely or pleasant about their sound. You know, you may never have heard this story because it's kind of a spin-off, of a little story I read not too long ago. And I call it a modern day parable of three little churches. The story goes like this. The first little church tried to build their ministry out of bricks, stones, mortar, and all kinds of technology. The church is never going to reach anyone until it looks right, they said. So they built a grand facility and added all kinds of fancy technology to it, made a beautiful landscape, and set out a highly decorative sign. The glass door said welcome, and the oak pews were lined with comfortable cushioning. The songs played on the projector, and the sound quality was superb. But then came the big bad wolf, and he did what he always does. He huffed, and he puffed, and he he was able to knock it all down. Strife, and contention, and hatred all came to the church, despite the fact that they looked beautiful. And so the church, built on looks, came tumbling down. The next church built their ministry out of busyness, entertainment, and fun. The church is never going to reach anybody if our people aren't busy and our children entertained, they said. And so they set out a plan and began to fill the calendar full. Sunday consisted of morning and evening services, coffee and donuts before services, of course, potluck and dinner after services, of course, youth activities and games after evening services, of course. Then Monday mornings they planned men's breakfast, and Monday evenings they planned Monday night for the master. Tuesday night was a ladies' class, or I should say Tuesday morning, and then Tuesday night was the widow's visitation. And on and on they went, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Not a day was missed. But then the big bad wolf came, as he always does. He huffed and he puffed, and he brought hatred, contention, and strife, and he knocked it all down. Because the church that was built on busyness and fun, it couldn't withstand, no, it couldn't withstand the hatred and strife and contention. It had nothing to keep it together. And so it came tumbling down. Its bonds were not strong enough to hold together. Well, finally, the third little church decided to build. They could only wish that they could do what the other two did. They simply didn't have all the resources, however, to build. Nor did they have all the skills and people to plan so many activities. They didn't have all these things. But they did have one thing that the other two lacked. They had a great love. They had a great sense of self-sacrifice on behalf of God, on behalf of their fellow neighbor. They were always willing to put God first and their neighbor second, ahead of their own desires and needs and wants. They loved Jesus, and they loved those who loved Jesus, and they loved those who did not. And so they decided to build on that, on love. They preached sermons, and they built those on love. They visited people and they built those on love. They planned a few events and they built those on love. They used what technology they could and they built that on love. They worked on their meeting place and they made it look nice as much as they could and they built that on love. They studied the Bible with people and they built those studies on love. They prayed together fervently and they built those prayers on love. They figured out ways to reach people and they built that outreach on love. They served people and they built that service on love. And you know, the big bad wolf came as he always did. He huffed and he puffed and he tried to knock it all down. But this time, the third little church didn't fall. It didn't get old. It didn't get outdated. It didn't close its shop or retire from its work. Instead, it stood and it grew because it was built on love. No other foundation can anyone lay than that will endure the test of time. That which is built on the Lord. The Lord is love. May God help us to build on that foundation, dear church. Today and from this day forward, let us put away bad attitudes. Let us put away evil thoughts. Let us put away old controversies and trespasses we've committed in the past. Let us be reconciled to one another again. Let us reunite in the perfection of love. The perfect is here. It has come. It's the love of Christ Jesus. And it makes us whole. It makes us complete. It's all that we need. And through it, God will draw all men to himself, the God of love. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. May God bless you richly as you recall to memory and you put into practice this needful reminder. Love is the sum.